Today we are launching a new three-part series that is highly relevant to all of us, very applicable to all of us, and I'm just going to rip the band-aid off and right now and just tell you it's about money. And uh, I hope that's okay. You know, I, I you know, if you if you feel like you must leave now, I guess you're free to you're free to leave. Um, if that weirds you out, you know, I might be ruffling some feathers, and you're thinking, okay, I know, you know, these guys just they just want our money. That's what the church is all about. And let me just tell you right now, that's not what this is about. This is not about getting your money. This is really a discipleship issue. We believe that this is, a, this is something that we need to be biblically, biblically educated about so that we understand how we can grow in Christian maturity and grow in Christ-likeness for us to understand what it means to be generous people and what it means to be a good steward of the things that God has entrusted to us. And stewardship is specifically what we're going to be talking about. Over the next three weeks, we'll be covering different angles, but to, to the, this morning, as it relates to this topic of money, we're going to be talking about stewardship and in, in seeking to gain a better understanding of what it means to be a good steward with these things that God has entrusted to us. But like I said, um, I, I, I hope that you'll stay. And, uh, so far, it doesn't look like anyone's getting up out of their seats and making their way to the doors. If you have to, you can pretend you're making your way to the bathroom or something like that. That way no one will you know, weird, you know, think that you're being weird or anything. But um, uh, I, but I dare you to stay. I dare you to listen. I dare you to listen intently and with an open mind and an open heart to receive these things. And, and not only do I dare you to, to stay and to listen and to have an open mind, but I also, because this stuff actually matters, I dare you to continue to come back over, over the next couple weeks as we tackle this over a total of three Sundays. We'll be covering some very important things that is important for us as Christians, uh, for us to understand what what God says about these things. And so, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is relevant to you because God has made you a steward of what you possess. And the problem is, often as Christians, we, and, and I, I'm basing this purely off of my own confusion over the years. I'm basing this off of the, the questions that I get from people. But for the most part, I think it's generally true that a lot of Christians are undereducated as it relates to these things. And they don't understand what it means for us to be a steward and money and all this stuff. And, 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 and even as Christians who get that the church isn't all about money and they get that it's actually not a weird topic, they still don't really know uh, what it means to be a good steward. They don't understand what their responsibility is. And so we want to try to equip you in that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might think, well, that doesn't matter. I'm not trying to follow Jesus with my money. I'm not trying to be faithful. Uh, I mean, God's not part of the picture for me. I would, I would say to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would say pay attention and hear how weird this stuff isn't. We recognize that there's a lot of baggage as it relates to the church and money. And we know that there's a lot of shady things that have gone on in relation to the church and money. And uh, I, I want to just tell you right now that uh, we want to earn your trust with the things that you, can, that you contribute, the way that you worship God with your money as we've just received an offering. We have worshiped the Lord together in our giving. And we want to earn your trust. And I want to tell you right now up front that we are a church that is committed 
to being above reproach and all these things. We're committed to transparency. We have open books. We're, we're committed to being accountable. We have a board of trustees that, that helps us manage these things and make sure that the money is going where it's supposed to go and that it's being managed faithfully. And we're committed to uh, these best practices and, and, uh, and, 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 I, and, I, and, and I thank you for the ways that you guys have faithfully uh, contributed to the work of the ministry here. Now, I want to say this, too. We are not going to be addressing this topic because we're in the middle of a financial crisis. I want to just say that up front. Because we're not in the middle of a financial crisis. You guys have not been stingy. You guys have been so generous. You guys have been amazing. And our board of trustees is incredibly happy with the state of our finances, considering we're such a young church. We're just over two years old. But I want to just say that up front. This is not an attempt to correct and be passive aggressive and to hint and suggest and all that kind of stuff. Like I said, this is a discipleship issue. And we have a responsibility to talk about this stuff. Jesus himself had a lot to say about money. He had a lot to say about money. He talked about money more than anything else other than the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the only thing that he talked about more than money. He actually talked about money more than heaven and hell combined. If you look at the parables, a good portion of the parables addressed money in some way. Within the first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. About one in every 10 verses deals with money in some form, directly or indirectly. So Jesus talked a lot about money. The Bible has to say a lot about money. And if we shy away as pastors and we don't talk about this stuff and we don't address these things, we run the risk of misrepresenting God's heart as it relates to these things. And we run the risk of 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 our messaging not being consistent with what is communicated in God's word. Now, you know, just because Jesus talked about it so much, it doesn't mean that it's the most important thing, obviously. But I think that Jesus talked about it so much and scripture deals with it so much because there's a lot that we need to understand as it relates to money. There's a lot that we need to be instructed about. There's a lot that we need to be corrected on um, as it relates to these things. And so, Today, we're going to be taking a look, as Isaac said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at a parable here that is shared. And um, uh, let me just say, just to sort of set this up, here in Luke chapter 16, as we look at this parable, a parable is a, is a short story designed to convey a single point. It's basically con- it's to convey an illustration. They are n- it's not a true story in the sense that it didn't happen. These aren't real, th- real events that took place. But it, it, it's, a, it's a story to illustrate a singular point. And so let's read this, this passage together, and then we'll p- pray, and then we'll jump into it. Luke chapter 16. And he, speaking of Jesus, said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, or some uh, translations will say steward, same thing. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, And I'm ashamed to beg. 
I've decided what to do so that when, my, when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their, their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, my friends, for your, uh, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, you may, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray that you'd be with us this morning that you would help us to understand in a biblically accurate way some of these things, that you would help us to uh, get a greater glimpse of what faithful stewardship looks like, of what good stewardship looks like. We recognize that you're the giver of all things and all that we have, all that we possess comes from your hand. And we thank you so much for the way that you provide for us. And so Jesus, now I just pray that you would teach us I pray that you would be with me, anoint my lips, that you would craft my words, that anything I say that is not of you, that would just it would evaporate and disappear, and the, the things that are of you that are led by your spirit and, and spring from your spirit, Lord, would be things that settle in our hearts. So I'm, I'm just up here seeking to be faithful with these things, God, but I ask you to be the one that teaches us, and I pray that we would be together, surrendered to your spirit this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So this is, a, this is an interesting story. We've got this rich man, and he has this, he has this dude, this manager, who, who is managing all, his, all of his possessions, all of his wealth. He's sort of a business manager, I guess. And, uh, but then the master, the rich dude, begins to learn that this manager is mis, uh, mismanaging all of these things. And he begins to learn that he's not managing his things very well at all. So he calls him on it. And he basically says he wants a full report on his desk in the morning. And, uh, you know, at this point, needless to say, the manager is a little bit, uh, uh, little bit concerned. Uh, he didn't deny. And note, in the text, it reveals that he didn't deny the allegations. So he knew that the allegations were true. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he wasn't doing. He knew that he wasn't being faithful with the things that had been entrusted to him. So he knows that he's busted, and he knows that he's about to become unemployed. He also knows that finding other employment, finding another job is going to be difficult, especially when he would be asking an interview for the name and number of his previous employer. That probably wasn't going to go over very well. So he starts considering his options. And keep in mind, this guy's a business manager. He's the type of guy that sits behind a computer all day. He's not exactly... You know, one of these guys that works with his hands, a blue-collar kind of guy, manual labor. He's not that kind of a guy. So he quickly crosses off Ditch Digger off his list of, of, of possible career paths. And then for a fleeting moment, he considers holding up a sign at an intersection, begging for money, but then he realizes that he's too proud to beg for that. 
And so he comes up with this ingenious plan. He goes behind the rich dude's back. He goes behind the master's back and he reaches out to the people that are in debt to the master. And though he doesn't have permission to do this, he reduces their debt. And what this did, and the reason why he's doing this, the text reveals, was to ingratiate himself to these people to get in their good books in the hopes that they they would be more willing to return the favor to him once the hammer fell with his master. And now I want to draw your attention to the original issue here. It is not that the manager was committing some kind of fraud or embezzling the rich dude's stuff. The original issue was that he was wasting and mismanaging the master's stuff. There's a difference. And what, and what, we, what this reveals is that this, as we look at this parable and we look at this passage, what this parable about is, is about is really, it's about stewardship. And simply put, stewardship is the trust and responsibility given to a person to oversee and manage what belongs to somebody else. Let me say that again. Stewardship is the trust and responsibility given to a person to oversee and manage what belongs to somebody else. Now, just as there are good pastors and bad pastors, good police officers and bad police officers, good politicians and bad politicians. I'm kidding, politicians, they're all horrible. Um, But there are also good stewards and bad stewards. There are faithful stewards and unfaithful stewards. There are wise stewards and unwise stewards. So the question I have for you is, what kind of steward are you? And you say, wait a minute, Lorenzo. I'm not sure that we're on the same page here. The last I checked, no wealthy person has entrusted all of their wealth to me to manage. So I'm not, I'm not sure that you know, this whole question about my stewardship is, is really relevant right now. Now, it may be true that no one has entrusted their wealth to you but you're still a steward. And so am I. We're all stewards. God has entrusted to us everything that we possess. Whatever you have, you can rest assured God has given it to you. Now the master in this parable um, does not necessarily represent God. But like the master in this story who owned everything that had been entrusted to the manager, God owns everything and everything we have has been given to us by him and we are to be good stewards of it. Everything in this world belongs to God. Psalm chapter 24 and verse one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So he made it, he owns it, it all belongs to him, true story. A theologian named Abraham Kuyper, who was also the prime minister of the Netherlands in the early 1900s, he said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, it belongs to me. God entrusts what belongs to him to our stewardship. We are not owners of anything. We are just stewards. 
And then you might be thinking, this might be another objection by some of you. You might be thinking, well, hold on. I work my butt off for everything that I have. And I've acquired what I have through my own blood, sweat, and tears. Actually, no, that's not how it works. Deuteronomy in chapter eight, he says this, beware lest you say in your heart, like maybe someone did already, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. See, we, we're, we're not in a place of creating wealth for ourselves. We're not in a place of creating blessings for ourselves and this desired uh, circumstance for ourselves. Everything we have, all the blessings that we experience, we, we receive from God. The principle of stewardship goes all the way back to Genesis. It goes all the way back to creation where it was established. In the beginning, God created everything and put Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And this responsibility was to steward all that God had created and given to him. The fundamental principle of biblical stewardship is that God owns everything and we are simply managers or administrators acting on his behalf. And as we begin to think of it in those terms, it begins to change how we view these things. And that's a good thing for us to think of it in those terms. So with this, this concept of stewardship firmly established, let's shift gears and let's consider the implications of this on the money that we possess. A lot of Christians, as I said, are confused, they're unaware, they're undereducated of what the Bible says about money, and certainly with regard to how these things apply in real life. And I will tell you right now that I was one of them. When I was a, a, a newer believer, um, I was in a situation where I had a lot of medical debt. Some of you know that I have a lot of medical issues, and it's been going on for a long time. And there's a, there a time in my life where I was in a lot of medical debt. And I was, I was trying to do my best to be responsible, uh, and I was in debt, and I was trying to take all the money that I could possibly afford and throw it at that debt. I was trying to live uh, in a very frugal way. I was pretty lean with all of that stuff, and I was trying to throw as much money as I possibly could at this debt. And it was a mountain of debt. I, I, there were times like I thought, man, there's no way I'm ever going to get out of this. So I was seeking to do my best to, to throw as much money as I possibly could at this debt. And I was hanging out with some of my buddies one night, and at some point, um, the conversation turned to money. And um, then it turned to, you know, what it looks like to give to the church and give to God and all that kind of stuff. And I had no problem at all just piping up and saying, well, I don't give anything to God. I don't give anything to the church because I think it's the right thing to do. And I think it honors God to be someone who pays his debts and pays what he owes. So I was not ashamed. I was not embarrassed. I was doing the right thing. My heart was inclined to obey. I was trying to do the right thing. And I'm like, yeah, I got no problems with this. And my buddy very graciously and very faithfully, he says to me, and he pauses and he does one of those beard scratch things. And then he's like, yeah, but have you considered that if it weren't for God, you wouldn't even be able to pay your debt. 
And, you know, at that point, it was like, you know, the, the uh, you know, a ton of bricks landed on me. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm trying to do the right thing. My motivation was right, but I was completely off. And I was completely wrong. And I realized that I was not acknowledging God in the process. I was not acknowledging that what I had, I had actually received. Because I thought that what I had, I had earned. I worked for it. Now it's mine. I'm going to do with it as I see fit. And I'm even going to try to do good with it, at least in the sense of paying my debtors, right, to pay my debts, but in the process, I had, I had failed in, in, in failing to recognize that I had received these things. I also had failed to acknowledge the giver. And that means that I had also failed in acknowledging God. Now, of course, my motivations were not sinister because I was seeking to pay off my debt. But my thinking and my best intentions were fundamentally flawed. I was putting my money towards my desires and my purposes. And in doing so, I was ignoring God's. It's impossible for us to be faithful as, as stewards if we fail to acknowledge that God owns and has given to us what we possess because our priorities will never align with his plans and his purposes. Back to our parable. Look at verse 4, Luke chapter 16. The manager says, I have decided what to do so that when I'm removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. You see what he's doing here? He still hasn't learned his lesson. He's manipulating for his own gain that which belongs to the master. Do you see how that correlates to us? We often do the same thing. We pursue personal benefit from what is not ours and we fail to steward what has been entrusted to us. And that's what's happening when we view what we possess as being our own, to use and spend as we see fit in pursuit of our own desires. We are often like this manager and he is like us. Now, when it comes to these things, our perspective informs our practices. And if our practice is to, give to God, is to give to God what is left over, our perspective is wrong and we do not understand that it is first his. Does anyone have a dog here? Anyone here have a dog? Some of you? I know Katie has a dog. So this is not about you. But you know how whenever it's mealtime, what does the dog tend to do? He just somehow makes his way over to the table and he's hanging out under the table, loitering, staring up at you with his eyeballs burrowing into the side of your skull. And he's waiting and he's begging and if he could talk, you know what he would say. But he can't talk and sometimes they'll whine and moan about it and all that kind of stuff. Most of them just stand there and they give you that kind of like, you know, tilted head thing. And they're, they're, they're waiting and hoping that you will just toss a few scraps off your plate. Sometimes, that's how we, that's what sometimes, that's what it looks like for us to give to God. Some of us give to God in that way. We just toss him some scraps. 
And then we, you know, we say things like, well, you know, I'm not sure I can afford it. And that's why I give to God in that way. Now, I don't know your personal financial situation, but for some people, and, and you know your personal financial situation, I don't. But I want you to think about this because for some people, quite honestly, that's a bit of a cop-out. I think we sometimes have this screwed up understanding of what we can afford as it relates to giving. For some of us, what we can afford means, this is the translation, what we are willing to part with and give up. It's not really based on what we can truly afford. It's like, well, I can't afford it. In other words, I'm not willing to give this up. I'm not willing to release this. And that says everything about our priorities. What, what, what I can afford and what I can't afford has everything to do with our priorities. And when that is our perspective and our practice, we do not understand that what we have is first God's. So a renewed biblical understanding of stewardship requires a reordering of our priorities. New Testament scholar Murray J. Harris decided to kick me in the face this week when I, when I read these words addressing this misinformed perspective that we sometimes have. He said, stewardship is in the first place receiving God's good and bounteous gifts. Bounteous is actually a real word. I looked it up. I'm like, wait, isn't this supposed to be bountiful? I was like, well, no, bounteous, apparently. And once received, those gifts are not to be used solely for our own good. They must also be used for the benefit of others and ultimately for the glory of God, the giver. The steward needs an open hand to receive from God and then an active hand to give to God and to others. And so as with a lot of things, it's good to reassess and reevaluate our priorities and our practices from time to time. Just two days ago, my wife and I, prompted by this message that I was going to have to give today, my wife and I discussed this, and we reassessed, and we had a conversation about some of these things, and we talked about what does it look like for us to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us, and how should that be reflected in our bank account? It's good to reassess that stuff. It's good to reevaluate that stuff from time to time. So practically speaking, what does good stewardship look like in real life? Well, I'm sure a lot of you, you don't have to be a financial planner or a financial whiz to, to, to know some of these things. So it's pretty obvious, but I'll give you uh, six suggestions. I think it's six. Yeah, it's six. Six suggestions. Number one, get a budget. Get a budget. And if you don't have a budget, you need a budget. And I will do a shameless plug and endorsement right now for a product called You Need a Budget, otherwise known as YNAB. It has changed my life. Anyway, I'll get off the YNAB bus for a second. But you do need a budget. You really do. You need a budget because you need to know what's going on with your money. And you need to be intentional about it. If you're not, you're unable to make principled decisions as a steward of the things that God has entrusted to you. Now, maybe you're married 
And maybe, you're, maybe you don't have a clue what's going on with, with your financial situation because your spouse takes care of it. I would say you need to correct that. It's okay if your spouse is more administratively, administratively gifted and, and they're the ones that pay the bills and keep it all in order and all that kind of stuff. But if, if, if this money still belongs to you as well and you have a responsibility as a steward to work with your spouse to understand these are our financial goals, these are our responsibilities, this is what it looks for us to be, this is what it looks like for us to be good stewards and together we have decided to be good stewards of these things that God's entrusted to us and we have decided it needs to look like this. So get a budget. Be intentional about how you manage your money so you can make principled decisions to be a good steward. Number two, live within your means. That's kind of obvious, right? Let's go to number three because it's kind of related. Don't run up your credit card debt on unnecessary spending. That will trap a lot of people and it does trap a lot of us. Contrary to popular belief, a credit card is not free money. It just defers payment to a later date. Every single time you buy something with plastic, there's a dollar sign attached to that and you're going to get the bill. So do not run up your credit card debt on unnecessary spending. And speaking of debt, pay off your loans so you don't have that hanging over your head. You don't want that hanging over your head. And many of us have loans, and there's many reasons why we have loans. It might be student loans and all that kind of stuff, but we want to be diligent about paying off our loans. Number five, practice generosity. Bless others and seek to do good with your money. Put your money where it can make a difference in people's lives. This is a good investment. Last week, we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan who spared no expense in taking care of someone who was in need. And then number six, align your, and this is the kicker here, align your perspective and your practices with God's plans and God's purposes. Let me say that again. Align your perspective and your practices with God's plans and purposes. And that would include doing good, blessing others, but it also includes using it to fund the work of God through the local church as an entity uniquely established by Jesus Christ himself, which the Bible says that he purchased with his own blood. He then commissioned the church, that being us, that being people, the community of believers to reach people with the gospel and make disciples. And that's why funding the work of God through the local church matters and why it's appropriate. Now, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us, he says a very direct statement, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And then in our text in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 10, uh, there's some similar things that are being conveyed. And it says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the, in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So the question is, have we been good, wise, and faithful stewards with what God has entrusted to us? Let me ask you this. What would the world look like if everyone followed your example of stewardship? 
Like maybe you're, maybe you're freaking out right now or maybe you're like, yeah, what? Bring it. What would our church look like if everyone followed your example of stewardship? Would it be awesome? Would it be kind of okay? Would it be a complete mess? If it would be awesome, I'd say seek to encourage and disciple others along the same lines. If you think it would just be, things would be kind of okay, maybe it's time to reassess some things. And if it would be a complete mess, maybe you need to take some responsibility and recognize what God has entrusted to you. Think about it. What would the world be like? What would our church be like if everyone followed our example of stewardship? But our ultimate example is God, who demonstrated generosity and addressed our greatest need, which was to have, our greatest need was to have our sins forgiven. God, in his generosity, dealt with that. God saw us in this state that we were in, and he didn't hold back. God saw us in this state, and he decided, I'm not going to be stingy. God is the greatest giver. And God gave his son, who in turn gave his life so that we could be reconciled to God and brought into a relationship with him. Romans 8.32 tells us, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, the thing with stewardship is that it's not even really about us. We think of stewardship and we think of of it in terms of God has given me this responsibility. Now this is the weight that I'm carrying and the weight that I bear that I have to be a good steward. But stewardship is not even really about us. You know what it's about? You know who it's about? It's really about God. And the fact that we are stewards implies, and if, if we understand that, it means that we're just, we're just um, um, stewards of it. These things do not belong to us. It means they belong to God. And if God has given them to us, it reminds us of his incredible generosity It reminds us of the ways that he's poured out his blessings upon us. We've established that we've already seen God's generosity demonstrated in him sending his son. He did not spare his own son. He was not stingy with us. He decided, I see the human race in incredible need, dead in their trespasses and sins, and I will send my son Jesus to die on the cross and take upon himself their sins, the punishment that was meant for them. He will take it upon himself, and I will sacrifice my son for their good so that this problem of sin can be dealt with and done away with so that they can be brought into relationship with me. When we think about stewardship, it's not about us. It's about how much God has bestowed blessings upon us. And it is my prayer that we, as a church community, would be marked by and reflect the generosity of God and be found faithful with all that God has entrusted to us. And in doing so, continue to grow in spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness. Amen? All right, let's pray.